Okay, hey, we continue. We're, we're just two weeks left in Joshua. You guys are almost done. That's pretty amazing. We've walked through this book that I, I think not many churches actually walk through, some of the giving of the land and this land lots and everything, and we're now at the very end. There's just two chapters left, and here we are. It's really today a, uh, a special thing. It's these three chapters at the end are three times that Joshua, when he was very old, brings all Israel to him because he has something very important to tell them. And so today, I, I've, I've labeled this in chapter 23, conditional. I don't know. The covenants of God, it's a big word, and really what I mean are the promises that God makes to you and me. Are they conditional? Do they have conditions Many of us say, oh, oh, there, God's, God's, God's promises to me are unconditional. But then most of the time we don't, we don't really live that way. I, I know for me, um, my first job when I was in high school was as a computer programmer. I know I don't look like a computer programmer. <laughs> look far too strong and buff. No, 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 no. But that was my first job. And really what it was was a series of if-then statements is what uh, computer programming was in my basic high school thinking, you know. If this, then that, or else, do this. So there's always this this logic, right? And it makes sense to me. If this condition is met, then go this way. If it's not met, then you go over here. And so you have this series. And we live life pretty much that way. Not that we're computers, but we do. We have a lot of if-then type of thinking, logical thinking. And whether or not we say God's covenant towards us is unconditional, we we take if-then statements, and they're true, right, in our life. If I do right behaviors, then God will be happy with me, or else, or if I do good things, God will reward me, or else, he won't. I want to clear up some confusion today. I think it's in the Old Testament. I'd like to make the case that all of God's covenants are are in some sense conditional. They're all if-thens. But the question is, what's the if? And what's the then? So we're going to look at that, not to throw away the if, but to get the right one. And so, and we'll look at Israel, and we'll see that God had conditions. That's what this is about. Then we'll consider ourselves and consider his conditions of his promises. So let's start. We're going to look at it. What Joshua does, he pulls them together, and he does this in three rounds. It's a really interesting story. There's three kind of kind of times that he does in a row. He does round one, round two, round three. It's not a fight, but it's three rounds of talking that he gives them. And I want you to see it. I want you to feel it. I want you to hear it. We'll start with round one. Chapter 23. We're going to pick it up in verse one. We're going to do the whole chapter. Here we go. A long time afterwards, chapter 23, verse 1. When Yahweh had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. Man, there it goes again. I love it how the Bible does this. He's very old. So then he says, I'm very old. That's a true statement. How old is he? We think he's probably in his 90s. 
So he's in his 80s when all these things happen. And we think he's in his mid-90s. He's very old, not strong of voice. And he calls Israel together. This is the second time he's done it. He's going to do it one more time in chapter 24. That's next week. And he says in verse 3, You've seen all that Yahweh your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is Yahweh your God who has fought for you. It's nice. It's true. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God, Yahweh, he will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as Yahweh your God promised you. Whoa. See, God has done all this stuff, and, and God will do all these things, and, and, and we've seen it in Joshua. We watched as he made the sun stand still, as, as he, made, he made nations run away from Israel. He just destroyed them before. God was amazing. Hail out of the sky. Therefore, verse 6, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to Yahweh your God just as you have done to this day. It's interesting, huh? It, it, it's not surprising. This is no new information for us. It's like, hey, Joshua calls the people. He says, hey, it's, God's done all these wonderful things for you. You're in the land. He's going before you. But it's important that you keep the law, the law of Moses. And, and if you remember right about what they were doing, this is you're talking about their parents got this law through Moses. It's not Moses' law. It was the law for the people. It was a covenant with the people, not with Moses. And the reason why is given, right? And it should be a little interesting as we begin to start. It's like, hey, the reason why it's important for me, says Joshua, that you keep this law, is that you need to be different than the other nations. All these other nations. And then there's God's nation. You need to be different. This all sounds pretty reasonable, I think. I mean, God gave him all these amazing things. He's fought for them. He's been with them. And he says, hey, now it's important that you do, you do these things. Careful to do everything he says. Not necessarily, I, I don't necessarily hear a condition in that. I hear a response, I think. But, but then round two comes. He doesn't stop there. So there's round one. Oh, God fought for you and did these things. So therefore, be very careful to keep all the law there. Cling to the Lord. And, and, and then round two, he keeps going. For, for Yahweh has driven out before you great and strong nations. God's done some pretty cool things for you guys. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand. Since it's Yahweh your God who fights for you just as he promised you. I think this is my favorite verse. I wish I could fly. Like, just go like Superman, don't you? That'd be cool just to take off and go. Wouldn't it be fun just to be able to stand and there's you're surrounded by a thousand enemies and it's just you and you're Superman. They were Superman. 
God, everybody fled before them, not because they were actually Superman from another planet or something, because they had God, and God went before them, and he's saying, one man of you put to flight a thousand. Oh, what a sight to see. Pretty fun. So, so it's reasonable, right, to be very careful, therefore, verse 11, to love Yahweh your God. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I mean, I, you should love this God who's done so much for you. It's more than you should, though. I mean, here it's a warning. It's, it's a warning about staying separate. 4, verse 12, if you turn back and you cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and you make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain. That sounds strong. Know for certain that Yahweh your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your side and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that Yahweh your God has given you. Oh. Oh, I see. I mean, God did this amazing work and so amazing. It's like supernatural stuff. And and they got to see it before their very eyes. But now if you go back... If you go be like them, God won't keep driving them out, right? I'm just reading it. I, I know I'm not bringing any particular insight to you, but for us to consider it is important. These, these ungodly people out there, they're going to be a snare and a trap and a whip. I mean, come on, thorns in your eyes. That sounds really fun. No, it sounds extremely painful. Terrible. So there's this warning. God has been good to you, undoubtedly, supernaturally. If you let him down, it will not go well for you. You will perish. That's what he's saying, right? I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> okay, because these nations, the other nations, they're really bad. They're going to be bad examples to them. God will be for them, but there's nothing he can do if these people go back to their pagan ways. Reasonable response kind of the first round, necessary consequence, could I say, this second round. If they sin by going back and there's one more nail to get through, that's round three. That's what he does next. Then we need to talk about it. <laughs> but we need to feel it. So, so in 14, he picks it up again, third time through. See what he's doing? He's going back into how great God's been for them and then what their response needs to be. And so here's the third time through. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Yeah, he's really old. I like that phrase for how you're going to die. About to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that Yahweh your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. What a great statement. Again, I think this could be the theme of the book. No falling words. Everything God says he's going to do, he does. He's done it for them. They're standing in the land. They've been gathered together by Joshua. They have an inheritance. God has blessed them mightily. So there they are. But, verse 15. But. Just as all the good things that the Yahweh your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so 
Yahweh will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that Yahweh your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of Yahweh your God, which he commanded you, and you go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Whoa. What just happened? God did all this good, and he, he did them all. Now here's another promise. If you don't hold up your end of the bargain, he, he's going to bring all the evil things he could bring. God could bring evil things? It doesn't mean God's evil. It means that he could do things you don't want him to do. He could kick you out of this land. And Joshua says, and he will. If. Right? Isn't that what he says? If you worship other gods, if you go the way of the other nations, you're toast. God will do it. He will get angry at you. That's how he ends there. I didn't read it. Let me read the last line. Then the anger of Yahweh will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land he has given to you. Oh, no. The anger of God. Response response is reasonable, The Consequences are, are, are necessary, and that's really all to say. Your blessing has been given to you, and, and it is conditional. Right? It's, it's conditional. They're conditional. I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to Israel. We're talking, considering Israel. The, 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 the blessing was a conditional blessing. It was conditioned on whether or not they, they continued to obey the keeping of the covenant. And the covenant was the promise agreement the, between God and these people given at, at Sinai, which we call the Mosaic Covenant. They, they had to do the law. If they did the law, that means they were different than other nations. That was the purpose. And therefore, they could have God among them. So I, I think it's okay to say it was conditional based on personal behavioral obedience. Is that okay? And if you go and look at why it's important they're to be different than other people, if they're no different, God's going to kick them out. I mean, God's, God says that. I don't know how long you've been around Christianity, but we tend to get really confused right about here. This is the, this is where we start to get confused. This concept right here, this one, that the need to keep law, the need to keep Torah is the stumbling block for the Jew. God has loved you. You need to respond rightly. Is this not reasonable? Yes, it is. God has loved you. Love him back. You need to. Implied threat. If you don't, there's a problem. I get it. I get if-then statements. God has loved you. Obey or he will be angry. It's not an implied threat. That's a threat. That's this text. The thing they needed to do to make sure they maintain their separateness from other nations was to keep the Torah, the, the, the law of God that had been given to them, that's laid out for them, and they were to keep it diligently. That's what they were to do. That's their job. If they didn't, then, then, then bad things are coming down the pike. Here's the question for this morning. What about us? 
That's the issue of our text this morning. That's a clean, clear issue of how great God's been for them, and we've seen it chapter after chapter after chapter in Joshua. And and, and then here at the end, say, okay, God's done all these things for you. You need to do these other things, guys. I was listening this week to a rabbi. He was in Jerusalem. He's talking. He's a well-educated man. Um, you can find him on YouTube, but they asked him this question. It's like, why don't the Jewish people accept Jesus as the Messiah? And he had three reasons. One of the reasons was that they don't really believe God would ever have a human form. One of the reasons was that, that Jesus didn't accomplish what the Messiah was supposed to, which is restoring Israel. So I got those. But he said the most important one by far. He said reason three. He said this idea of justification by faith is simply not in Torah. Jesus came, and at least if you believe Paul, he said, I think maybe Paul made it up, he said, but that Jesus came and abrogated the law. We can't accept that. There's no such thing as being good just by faith. (laughs) How insightful. How amazing. How interesting, because you know what? Up until this, I could have taken you through this text, and the Jew and the Christian say, yes, amen, amen, God does good things, keep door, do good things, be behaviorally good, and, and you're right there together. And suddenly, though, for you and I, there's a break. Because in his understanding, he's right. I would just say, watch out. As many friends follow that line of understanding and forget the relationship that we have and the ground we stand on. How? (laughs) Wait a minute. Jesus. Wait a minute. New covenant. What what are those things? (laughs) How could Christians, how could any church not put this statement not in the context of Jesus Christ? I think it's because we, in our, in our heart, we know there have to be some conditions. I, there have to be conditions, right? There have to be conditions but for, for someone to go to heaven. There have to be. Why? Because if I don't believe that, then I think everyone's going to heaven. You believe everyone's going to heaven? I don't believe everyone's going to heaven. I don't think the Bible teaches that. But if, if, if there's no conditions, then everyone's going to heaven because there's no conditions. You just go to heaven, right? That would be the thing. We could just all say, hey, we're universalists. And because of what Jesus did, everyone's going to heaven. Have, have a party here, guys. Sin away. I know that's not right. I know it. It's not the Bible does not teach that. What's the condition? So there's this right thought that there has to be conditions. We kind of fill in the rest by going where we think God wants to go. By pulling in different places of the Bible without context. By going ahead and pulling in and saying, okay, well, you know, um, that's what Israel had to do. That sounds pretty good. Behavioral obedience where it's at. Self-justification, self-improvement, self-orientation. And, and, and from this, this concern, I, I believe, comes in no small sense the enabling that some people talk about to keep the law. Because we sometimes think that Jesus made the possibility where now essentially we Gentiles can go be Jews in our moral behavior and keep God happy with us like, like they were supposed to keep God happy with them there. Isn't that kind of what it is? God did all these great things for you, but don't not do these peace that you need to do or he will get what? Angry. 
Sounds pretty easy for me. I'm an anti-theory guy. Walk in and I think, okay, I just sinned. Oh man, God is angry. I think it because of stuff like this. So that's thinking that Jesus made this possibility now where essentially we Gentiles can go be Jews. But, but, but the, the issue is not that there's no conditions. There's conditions. The issue is, do you have the right condition? Are you living under the right if-then? So I, I want to do a couple things in the New Testament to bring you with this thought. of, And, and Paul is thinking about them, I, I believe, as he does it, to think through. What about us? One of them is this. We read it this morning, but let me read it again to you. Think about what it says about what Jesus has done. And it says this. It says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. What was the difference between Jews and Gentiles again? Well, you see, the, the Jews had God in their midst, and they kept Torah. That was the thing that made them different. If they didn't keep Torah, they weren't different, and God was just going to spew them out. Those Gentiles out there, those nations out there, they are not keeping Torah. So he himself is our peace, who has made Jews and Gentiles one. Has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by what? Abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. You see, that the, the dividing line was your behavioral obedience to a particular set of laws. And Jesus came along and said, wait a minute. That wall is done. That difference piece, if, if that's your if-then, this law, that's the thing that got taken away. And, and let me say, well, Dax, that's just one passage. Okay, let me show you another one. This is Colossians. It says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision in your flesh. He's talking about Gentiles. This is the church of Colossae. They're Greeks. This is a, this is a Greek church. You're talking to, to Gentiles and he's saying, He's saying, look, you were dead in the trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh. You weren't part of the party. You weren't keeping the covenant. You weren't. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by what? Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. What did he nail to the cross? This list of ways in which you weren't different like you were supposed to be. Right? I mean, that's Colossians 2.13, by the way, if you want to look it up later. He says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. He, he, he did. How did he triumph? Not by his people maintaining this difference through law-keeping, but by bringing in and triumphing over all the nations and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save all people. Right? So, so the condition of my receiving the promises of God and him staying in relationship with me cannot be the ordinances, cannot be this law keeping. The condition cannot be my good Christian behavior. But there is a condition really important condition. You cannot say there's no condition. I, I really, in, in some sense, it's, it's a wrong thinking for me to say God loves me 
God keeps his promises to me unconditionally. Why? Because there are people that are going to hell. What's, what's the condition? Well, let me share a little bit. It says because here, if. There's that if-then thing. There's the condition piece, right? If, 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 if. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. If you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you might no, you will be saved. If, if what? If I trust in Jesus. I trust Jesus as Lord. I trust that he's done it. I trust that he's conquered. I trust that his finished work is done. I, I trust, you see how different this is? You confess Jesus, you believe in the resurrection. You, you trust in Christ. Our promises have a condition, and guess what? Jesus fulfills the condition. That, that's what I have to think. He fulfilled the obedience required. He has won, and we simply trust him. This leads you down a very different path than what we looked at with Israel. God doesn't say to you, if you behave, I will bless you, and if you don't behave, I will curse you. God says, trust in my son. I've done this in my son. Be part of my family by trusting my son. Jesus, the condition. Jesus has taken that. He makes us good. He, he says, I want to make sure that, that you see. <laughs> he didn't say it. I do. I want you to see Romans 5. I want you to see how he does it. I want you to see that the Bible doesn't have this, this, this backdoor conditionality on your behavior like they're putting you back under the law. It's just not there. It's only there in our confusion. Look at Romans 5. For if... Because of one man's trespass, because, he's talking about Adam. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. See how offensive this would be to a Jewish rabbi? Because of one man's trespass, death reigned. Yeah, Adam brought in sin, and because of Adam's sin, we all die. We, we all sin. All of us are sinners. So he says, well, well so there's death there. But now, now there's this way of the abundance of what? Grace. The free gift. That's where we get the thought of unconditionality. A free gift is free. <laughs> it's a free gift. What, what do I need to get that free gift? I need to actually put my arms out. And receive the free gift. Because that's where you get righteousness. It's a free gift. That's your goodness. Life. Oh, where do I get life? Free gift. How could this be? This sounds so unconditional. Yeah, it's because the conditions have been met by Christ. And, and, and that's how you, you walk through life. Thinking, Man, Jesus did it for me. He did it for He did it for me. And if I believe that, oh, look, I get a gift. That is the gift. Goodness, not through your sweat and tears, but a gift, a free gift. Conditionality, yep, just not where you think it is. The condition is, can you get into the room? And that entrance to the room is trusting Jesus. We need to keep reading a little bit in Romans 5. I think we just started there. Will you read a little more with me? It says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. There it is, right? That's it. 
That's, that's what, that, that's nothing I did. That, that's Jesus doing it. One act of goodness leads to righteousness for everybody and life for everybody who will trust him. The trusting isn't even this condition. It just marks the one that, hey, we actually received the gift. The gift's been given. I think I skipped, skipped a little bit. Let me make sure. For as the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. You understand that? One man's obedience. That's not Israel's obedience as a nation. That's not our obedience as a church. That's one man's obedience. Jesus Christ's obedience. By his obedience, many made good. You see what, what a terrible thing that is to a Jew to say, oh man, no, it's our obedience, you see. It's our obedience that, that keeps the blessing. It's our obedience that keeps the covenant. It's our obedience that does all these things. And the Bible says in the New Testament, one man's obedience does it. The obedience of Jesus. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the great hope of the Christian. This is the the reality, and you see clearly here, the law came in what? To help you keep God happy with you? No. The law came in to increase sin. To break your legs. So that you, as, as, as you see your death, as you see your fallenness, as you see your brokenness, you see there's just one light that you can go to. There's just one hope that abounds. There's just one place you can end up at, and that is Jesus and his perfection. What does God say to you? I want to be clear. I want to, I think that the reality from a text like this is, as we think through it in New Testament glasses, as we understand it in its context for them and who they were and the, and the covenant they were under, and we, and we come forward to the covenant in Jesus that we have, and say this is that when God's favor is not based on your obedience to the law, it, it cannot be. It's based on Jesus Christ's obedience for us. That's Romans 5. Goodness and righteousness are, are based on trusting Jesus, not external obedience to rules. We, we do obey. We obey. It's called belief. It's the obedience of faith. I trust Jesus, and out of that trusting Jesus comes lots of cool fruit because we talk about new birth, we talk about the Holy Spirit, you talk about things that come out of that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. They all flow out of what? The Holy Spirit in you? How does that happen? That happens because you trust Jesus and you have this pathway. You're not thinking, I gotta produce patience, joy, and goodness today. I gotta get her done. When you try and get her done, you don't get her done. The condition of favor, yes, it, it is trust. It's not trust and obey. It's trust alone, which is obey. It's also known as one of the great solas. It's called faith alone. Let me tell you why this is important, because it goes to the reason. The reason why they were needed to keep the law, right? In our passage today, the reason why they were needed to keep the law is so that they were different from other nations. Isn't that true? So you better keep the law, he says, Joshua says, because you've got to be different than the other nations. They need to see that you're Yahweh's people. You're God's people. And the way you do it is you stay obedient to the law. And then, and then, don't we do that? Isn't that how we show we're different by our great morality? That's how we're, we're different? No. You realize that, right? 
The point anymore is not that you're more moral than other people. Do not Jews follow the same code. They're not going to heaven if they're not connected to Christ. Do not Hindus steward the earth's resources? Yes, they are, yet they are condemned if they are not in Christ. Do not other Gentiles seek truth and justice? Absolutely, yes. Oh, I invite you sometime to consider the 150 people I went to medical school with, none of whom knew Jesus. Person after person going overseas to serve humanity. They're better than me. What do I have? I got Christ. That's all I have. I'm a, <laughs> I got the best testimony in the world. You know the best testimony I have in the world? I am a broken sinner. And I found the greatest treasure you can find. I want you to know the treasure. Do you know the treasure? Because I think, I'm thinking, I'm being honest with you, I think you're broken too. And for broken people, the, the Bible says there's hope. Why? Because the condition has been met. How's the condition been met? Jesus Christ has done it. What does that mean? I have fantastic hope my whole life because it's been laid on me. And, and I need to watch out because all pulled out is I'm not supposed to be broke. I better get better. I better make sure I get keep God happy with me by doing stuff over here. And I just tell you, the happiness is that you, you receive that Jesus did do it all. You don't do that very well. Why do I say that? Because I don't do it very well. But this is how I stand apart. This is how you stand apart. You stand apart by standing on Jesus, by being a radically transparent person, because that's, that, that's, that's unusual. Why can you do that? Because I've been covered by the blood of Jesus. I love people because it doesn't matter that I get taken care of. Why? Because I'm so taken care of in Jesus. I have unity with people who really, honestly, they sin a lot. I don't like that they sin, and that's okay. But you know what? They believe in Jesus, and that's my connection point to them. That's your connection point to me. Not on how well I keep the Ten Commandments. What a terrible thing if that's the case. Why do I say that? Because you don't keep the Ten Commandments well. I don't want to be around you if the basis for being around you is how well you do the Ten Commandments. You certainly don't want to be around me. But if instead it's about Jesus, okay, I'm, I'm, now I'm just rambling. But you know what? You can say God is for me unconditionally. But the reason you can say that is the condition has been met. I think it's wiser to say that, hey, no, God has conditional covenants. That's what he has. But, but, the question is, what's the condition? The condition for us is trusting Jesus. But it's not a work. Okay. To go back and put you or other people on conditionality based on your works is, to me, in the Bible, horrifying. So what's the crucial difference between a Christian and one who isn't? We trust Jesus and his finished work. What does that mean for conditionality? God is entirely for us based on what Jesus has done. Even on my worst day, he's for me. Not against me. His heart is never angry, and I'm never outside his care if I'm in Christ. And guess what? I don't go in and out of Christ. This is huge. You need to process it. You need to think through if it's true. But I believe this is the New Testament teaching of Christianity. And, and, and then to you, well, don't I need to obey? Yes, you do obey. By trusting Jesus, other fruits will come out of those things. 
Transparency, unity, love. Why is this such a big issue? Because by putting yourself at the center and making external obedience your main issue, you are actually being the same as the world. You're being the same as every religion. By putting external obedience at the center of God's relationship with you, what you're doing is you're putting yourself back in the shoes of Israel. I invite you next week, after Thanksgiving, (laughs) to come back and see how they did. Because that's the last chapter. I'll give you a hint. The sermon title is, You Can't. So that today, I just, and again, I'm, again, I this so dear to my heart that you would see this morning the wonder of what's been done for you in Jesus. It's, it's radically deep. It's unquestionably true. And may you see it more and more every day. May this be the reason why you have a fantastic Thanksgiving, not because of turkey, not because of cranberry, whatever it is that you eat that's in a circle that I don't like, not because of potatoes, but because of Jesus. Let's pray.